Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I discuss the recent declines in the market and some of the interesting observations we are seeing when we look under the hood, to the types of stocks that are winning and losing so far this year, to how rates impact the value of growth stocks, to the spread that still exists between the cheapest and most expensive stocks in the market today. All markets are different, and we use the volatility to highlight some of the things we are seeing in the data. We reference Validia's market valuation tool, and investors can check that out at www.validia.com slash market valuation. As always, thank you for listening. Please enjoy this discussion. Uh, so as of today, I think the market, at least the S&P, is technically in correction territory, which is um, down 8%. Um, so it's continued to sort of have some weakness in here. Um, thing, things like the NASDAQ are down even more. Um, you know, for some investors, if you've been investing and you're new to investing over the past few years, you know, you haven't seen declines like this. Um, so I think that's probably a shock for some people, but the reality of it is, is that, you know, um, in most years, the market declines usually has 1% or excuse me, usually has a correction in most year calendar years, the market on average, you know, usually corrects at least 10%, at least once. So, um, that's more the historical standard. What we're, what we're seeing now is, you know, um, just something that is, you know, investors are sort of waking up to the fact that stocks can and do go down. Um, and that's just part and parcel of long-term investing. But Jack, what we wanted to do today was sort of just talk about some of the other interesting sort of maybe lesser known observations that we're seeing in the market. Some of this is using our own internal data. Some of it is things that you went back and looked at in terms of valuations and, you know, just sort of talking about some of these things that we're seeing and then sort of maybe what the implications are or the takeaways are, if any. So the first, and this is based largely on an article that you recently wrote, so the timing of it is pretty good. Um, The first thing, if you want me to set it up for you, is, um, you know, this idea that value stocks are sort of outperforming, but that's not necessarily true in all cases. Yeah, and to pick up on what you said, your, your initial point, I mean, this for a 10% decline, this feels way, way worse than a 10% decline. And, you know, part of that is, like you said, we just haven't had, I mean, I think last year, the, it, we maybe got to a 5% decline once. Um, but we, you know, since the coronavirus, you know, bear market, we haven't had a major decline. But the, the other thing that's going on behind the scenes, and we'll talk a little bit about this later, is, you know, your average stock is doing way, way worse than that 10%. And so I think I saw something yesterday that, you know, in the NASDAQ now, I think 50% of the stocks are at least 50% down off their highs. Um, in the Russell, you see the same type of thing. You see a lot of stocks 30, 40% off their highs, even though the market's only down 10%. So we've had this market where the big names continue to prop it up and hold it up. And beneath the, beneath the surface, we've got, you know, a lot of people's portfolios, if they're not just invested in the S&P, if they're investing in equal weight strategies or, or anything like that, they tend to have way worse performance than the market. But to get to, get to your question, my, my first point, you know, and, and the idea with this article is I just, you know, we have a lot of data behind the scenes and we just saw some really interesting things that have been going on in this decline. And so we want to just highlight, you know, some of those different things um, that, that we see in our data. And the first one was, 
you know, there's an idea in the media that value has been outperforming in this decline. Um, and, you know, that, that makes sense to some degree. I mean, we've had a lot of this is driven by inflation being higher than expected. The Fed's not going to be as accommodative. And, you know, a lot, a lot of people think that's fueled sort of the growth outperformance in the past. And so now with those things reversing, you know, you think value would do better. And the idea that value has been doing better this year is true, but it's not true as well. And, and the, the way to sort of understand that is to take a look at the industries behind the scenes in value. There's one industry that has just been trouncing every other value industry this year, and that's energy. You know, as of when I wrote the article, at least energy was up 13% for the year. And every other industry that you would consider a value industry was down. Some of them were down less than the market, but they were all down. And so what you're seeing in the in, you know, popular value ETFs is some of them are way ahead of the market, and some of them are actually behind the market. And, and the differentiating factor basically comes down to energy. If you're, if you're a fund that's concentrated in energy or overweight energy, you're typically ahead of the market this year. If you're overweight sort of consumer cyclicals and more of those you know, cyclical type names, you're actually underperforming the market this year, despite the fact that the media is sort of saying value is outperforming. So like anything else, you know, when, you, when you dig into the details, things are a little bit different than they appear on the surface. And so I thought that was just interesting to think there's really been two types of value strategies this year, and energy has really been the differentiating factor. At, at some point last year, I remember that the energy exposure in the S&P 500 had fallen from like 8% down to like 2 or 3%. So that industry had contracted, mainly because other industries were performing a lot better and energy stocks were, were underperforming quite significantly. So just in terms of, you know, investors exposure to the best performing sector this year, you know, it's probably very low, but that probably set the stage for, you know, that type of, to some extent, that reversion back. There's other factors as to why energy is working in terms of higher commodity prices and, and things like that. But it, I, I do, I just remember that being, seeing some of those energy names and um, how much larger they were you know, five or six years ago, and then how smaller they had gotten relative to a lot of other stocks in the market. It's amazing, because like you said, energy used to be a big factor in the market, and right now it really is zero factor. Um, you know, what energy is doing, you know, in terms of the S&P almost means, you know, very little. I mean, the FANG stocks mean a huge portion, you know, mean a lot to the S&P, and energy means nothing. But, you know, certain value strategies, depending on the types of metrics you use, have tended, especially the small cap value strategy, some of the small cap value ETFs have tended to be overweight energy during this. And that's been a huge driver of their outperformance, whereas others have struggled because they don't, you know, they don't have that overweight energy. One of the points that Ben Inker made on the podcast when we had him on was this, um, the level of stocks trading at, I don't know exactly what it was, if it was either 10 times sales or 20 times sales, but that it, it um, that that was like at a peak, it was, I think it was even higher than the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, I believe, or was it a comparable level in terms of, in terms of how many stocks in the market were trading at? And we're not talking earnings here; we're talking sales. Um, so 10, 20, 30 times sales, which is you know a very expensive price to sales uh, valuation. And Jack, you you sort of like looked at some of the historical data in terms of, in terms of that, and then how many stocks have, uh, how how much the decline has been in some of those really overvalued names. Yeah, and just to pick up on your initial point, I mean, I, I sort of looked before this decline this year to, to pick up on your point of the idea that there are a lot of these stocks in these overvalued baskets. You know, Scott McNeely was famous when he ran Sun Microsystems. You know, when, when the price to sales got to 10, he, he basically came out and said, you know, our stock is overvalued. But as of before this decline, 583 stocks in our investable universe, which is give or take 20%, had a price to sales over 10. And we had 200 stocks that had a price to sales over 30. 
which is which is a ridiculous valuation. So coming into this, that's where we were. Although those those multiples actually had compressed throughout 2021 because growth stocks had done, you know, more poorly. We still had a lot of stocks that were really really expensive. Um, and so what I what I looked at is number one, how have those stocks done this year? Um, and this is before the last couple of days when the markets declined more. But the average stock with a price to sales over 30 had declined 23 and a half percent this year. And, and as of when I wrote the article, the market was down eight. And your average stock with a price to sales over 10 had lost 19%. So you, you see there's been some significant destruction in those huge multiple names. And like you said, you know, going back to the Ben Inker quote, there's, there's been a lot of people who've been saying, all right, the market's a bubble. But really, there's been different parts of the market that might be you know, a lot more of a bubble than others. And so the FANG stocks actually are not, they're, they're certainly expensive, but they're not ridiculously expensive. But there was this upper tier that I just referenced in terms of these, these stocks like the Robin Hoods and, and all these other stocks of the world that were trading at just ridiculous multiples. And that's really where all the destruction has come this year, um, is, or most of the destruction has come in those big names. Um, and the other, just to that point, the other thing I looked at is I wanted to say, all right, now that that destruction's happened, where do we stand now? And so in, in terms of like how much has the valuation declined of these types of stocks? And so one way to look at that is we sort of take our universe and we group it into deciles or groups of 10%. And so the, the top 10% or the most expensive decile coming into this year to get into that top 10% of most expensive stocks, you needed a price to sales of 30 or above. Now today, you need a price to sales of 20 or above. So that obviously is still a very high ridiculous valuation, but you can see that that number has come down a lot now. So, you know, these, these expensive stocks have certainly gotten hit really hard this year. One of the things I think the market is really sort of waking up to and, and wrestling with and trying to figure out is, you know, where rates are going because interest rates affect a lot of different things. Um, but in terms of the growth stock category, one of the biggest impacts they have is when you have a higher level of interest rates, it makes cash flows well out into the future worth less in today's present dollar terms, which is why when you hear about, and there's a lot of people prognosticating about 2022 being better for value stocks versus growth stocks. And that to some extent has been true. If you look at the most expensive stocks, maybe to the cheapest stocks. Um, but a lot of that had to do with this idea that if rates are going higher, you know, it basically impacts growth stock valuations for the reason I just described, but you know, because value stock stocks are more valued based on, you know, sh shorter term cash flows or cash flows in the short to medium term, that higher rates don't impact um, the, the, the current um, present value of their profits as much. And so Jack, you sort of looked at this and gave an example in, in the article of, of, of why that is and how it impacts sort of, you know, a value, the valuation when you see these rate increases. Yeah, so I had sort of two points here. One is getting back to your idea that, you know, it would make sense, you know, growth stocks should be worth more in lower rates because their value is in the future. And value stocks should be worth more relatively when rates are higher. Now, when you look at the historical data, that doesn't really hold up that well. I mean, the relationship is pretty weak between interest rates and the, out, you know, the relative performance or value and growth. But the, the point I wanted to make overall here is I wanted to just show, I, I think one thing investors don't understand is how much a small change in the discount rate, if I just have a a stream of future cash flows that are going to go off into perpetuity in the future, how much a small change in the discount rate can change the value of that stream of cash flows. And so I won't get into all the details, but what I did is I sort of assumed a stream of cash flows. I tried to like mirror what a growth company might look like, which is, you know, a stream of cash flows that maybe in the next five years, there is no cash flow. And then after that, I've got a rapidly growing cash flow into the future. How much does, if I, if I raise the discount rate by 2%, 
how much does the present value of that cash flow go down? And in this example, and obviously there's a lot of assumptions you can use one way or the other that changes this, but in this example, by raising the discount rate 2%, that cash flow was worth 20% less today. So if that was a stock, that would imply, you know, 20% less of a current value. And if I raise the discount rate 4%, it was worth 40% less. And so the point here was just to show when you do have a, a series of cash flows that occur well into the future, a very small change in the discount rate makes makes a huge you know, change in the current value of those cash flows. And although that doesn't work perfectly with growth stocks, it's just it's an important point to keep in mind when you see these revaluation of growth stocks during a period where the Fed's supposed to be, you know, potentially going to be raising interest rates and you know liquidity is going to be coming out and inflation is going to be higher. You can see how big that impact can be when you look at it from a present value standpoint. One of the tools we have on Validity is something we call the market valuation tool. And what it does is it allows you to see, based on a series of valuation metrics um, and different segments of the market, how expensive or cheap these areas of the market look um, given to their uh, relative to their self and relative to other as aspects or groups in the market. And one of the things that you, one of the charts you put in here was um, looking at the spread between the most expensive stocks using the price to sales ratio and the least expensive stocks. And your point here was, if you think that the decline in growth stocks has made it so that spread is now closer, so value stocks aren't as cheap relative to growth stocks, you're wrong. And, it's, and I'll sort of let you talk to it, but it's, it is an interesting thing that, you know, even though some of these stocks have just gotten crushed, it's not like the spreads have really come in that much and value still looks pretty cheap relative to growth um when you compare them to each other yeah this sort of gets to one of the mistakes you know i made earlier in my career you know looking back to 2014 you know i, I kind of thought value had gone through a period where it, it had struggled a little bit and I, and I thought value was attractive but when you looked at it from this spread perspective in 2014, value was actually very expensive and growth was cheap. And so the idea goes back to what I talked about earlier. So we, we talked about like sort of what price to sales defines that most expensive top decile. So what you do is you take that top decile of the most expensive stocks and you compare it to the bottom decile, which is the cheapest stocks using any metric. In this case, we're using price to sales. And you look at that gap and how wide is that gap? And so when that gap is very wide, growth, expense, growth stocks are very expensive relative to value. When that gap is narrow, value stocks are cheap. And so we've had the narrow thing for a very long time now. And, you know, those of us, and you know, we've obviously been doing this, you know, all of us that are value investors have been saying value is cheap for a really long, you know, for a really long time now. And, you know, so far we've been wrong about that, although we've sort of seen a bounce back. But I thought it would be interesting just to kind of look at those spreads and say, all right, we've had this major decline in growth stocks this year. Has this situation gotten any better? You know, given that I missed it in 2014 when growth stocks got cheap, have they gotten cheap now? And so, and like you said, the answer is a very resounding no. Um, you know, I have a chart which we can put in the YouTube video um, or you can, you know, reference the article on, on Validia. But it, when you look at sort of this, what's gone on this year, it is this slight little increase. Um, you know, it's just a blip on the overall chart. And, you know, growth remains in the 93rd percentile in terms of how expensive it is. So we have not seen, although we've seen huge declines in growth stocks, we have not seen a major narrowing of these spreads that would indicate, you know, growth stocks are now attractive relative to value. And, you know, we have to have the, you always have to have the caveat whenever you talk about any kind of valuation, whether it be spreads or anything else. This tells us nothing about what's going to happen in the next year. It tells us nothing about what's going to happen in the next three years. It's just an interesting thing to kind of put this whole thing in, in perspective and say, all right, we had this major decline. Where are we valuation wise? And, you know, when you look at that value growth gap, it's, it's obviously not the, in the first percentile like it was before this. 
but it's still, you know, it's it's still in the seventh percentile. So it's it's still very, you know, value still it's very cheap relative to growth even after this decline. One of the things with the market is all markets are different, all declines are different. There's, di- you know, different drivers of why stocks do what they do. Sometimes it's you know macro many times it's macro related sometimes it could be other things but the point of i think this discussion is just to try to you know talk through some of the things some of the interesting things that we're seeing um in the market today and you know how investors should be thinking about um this most recent decline yeah and you know you have to keep all of this in context you know like you said none of this is it can be used to figure out what's going to happen in the next year or the next three years with the market but you know we try to look at long-term data as much as we can and you know just a lot of these things sort of you know stuck out as as things that were very interesting in terms of what's changing with this decline and so we, we just wanted to look at overall like try to put this whole thing in a historical context and you know bring forth some interesting data that kind of tells us where we are now and you know we may very well we may go down a lot more from here this may be the bottom we may rebound you know we don't know anything about this and certainly the things i mentioned in my article aren't going to tell you anything about this but at least it's, it's sort of some interesting long-term data to keep what's going on right now in context yep good stuff okay guys thank you guys for watching we'll see you next time thank you Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at @practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at JJ Carboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.